Wild finish between the Brooklyn Nets and the Sacramento Kings is D'Angelo. Russell scores 44 points. Clippers win and a win for Doc Rivers as he re-ups in Los Angeles. And resting players in the NBA. How can this be avoided? We bring on NBA player Trevor Booker to help us figure it out. It is the Wednesday edition of Locked on NBA. Let's do this. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of Locked On NBA. And on Wednesdays, I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake. And I am John Corrales. I am a beat writer covering the Celtics for MassLive.com and I'm co-host of the Locked On Celtics podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at RedsArmy underscore John. So coming up in a few, we're going to have NBA player Trevor Booker coming on to talk all things going on around the association. But before we get to that, it was a pretty fun night around the league, particularly for the late games. You didn't watch all the games. We did. That's why we call this the too long, didn't watch. Let's look at all of it. We start with Philadelphia, 118 over the Charlotte Hornets, 114. So it was a little bit closer than it probably should have been, John. Yeah, but no Joel Embiid for, quote-unquote, load management. So it was up to J.J. Redick, who checked in with his first-ever career double-double, like anywhere in college or the pros, 27 points, 10 rebounds. And they held off a very feisty Charlotte team. to. uh, And and this was a big win. They're fighting for playoff position, and then they played the Celtics uh, on Wednesday night. So this was very important for them to get this first win on the front end of the back-to-back. Yeah, Jeremy Lamb with 26 points for the Hornets. Kemba Walker with 21. Load management, uh, man, that's a thing. Can we can we discuss for a, like 10 seconds how brutal Jeremy Lamb's missed layup that would have tied the game down the stretch was? I mean, he had that thing, and it just like it, it was just a blown layup. Hey, it's, it's make or miss league, right? Right. There we go. We can sum it up pretty easy. Moving on, we got Houston taking on Atlanta. The Rockets win 121-105. Basically, this one was just Houston all the way after midway through the third quarter. Not much else going on there. Clint Capella uh, with 26. You had James Harden putting up uh, 31. Yeah, this was just kind of business as usual. But history was made. James Harden scored 30 against the Hawks. He is the first player ever to score 30. 30 points against every team in the NBA in a single season. I miss that. That's a really cool stat, actually. That is insane to do that. What's more impressive, that one or the one with the Spurs, like, barely being under 500 over the past, like, what, 20 years or whatever it was? I'm still going Spurs because that's sustained brilliance. I mean, this is also sustained brilliance. It's over the course of one season, but the Spurs thing is just – the what was it like 61 versus something like that and then the next closest one is what four digits something like that yeah yeah it was like it was like a ridiculous number that that's the spurs number is just i mean ungodly the the hard number is also 
ungodly, but to a slightly lesser degree, but both significantly impressive. Yeah, it's a pretty. I I didn't realize that had happened in this game. That's yeah. absolutely insane. Awesome. So next game up on the slate, you had the Milwaukee Bucks beating the Los Angeles Lakers one fifteen one oh one. No LeBron, no Giannis, which probably means we don't need to talk about it. Not till later. Not not there we go. See, look at how we saved this. That's called a tease. It was teasing it up here. Uh, then you had Gold State Warriors taking on the Minnesota Timberwolves one seventeen. 107 for the Warriors, kind of keeping things going. Kevin Durant did play in this one, 17 points. Clay Thompson, 28, and then Steph Curry, 8 of 14 from deep and route to 36 points. I'm a big fan of 2020 nights, and Carl Anthony Towns checked in with 26 points and 21 rebounds. And also, Prince Knight, I'm a huge Prince fan. Whenever they do Prince Knight in Minnesota, I, I got to say one of my biggest regrets this season is not being in Minnesota for Prince Knight. I I guarantee I could not keep my professional beat writer composure in Minnesota if that was a night where I was covering the, the, the Celtics in town. Those are some of the best jerseys probably oh. in terms of alternates. Also, Towns, since uh, I, get, I, I don't know how long it's been going on, but he's played exceptionally yeah. well recently. I know what you're saying. Ever since Jimmy Butler left, Carl Anthony Towns is awesome. Yeah, yeah that's basically. true. That's true. That's a thing. And maybe someday we'll get a, a chance, maybe someday soon, we'll get a chance to figure out exactly what that means. But that's an actual thing that we need to explore further on. Well, like maybe once the season is over. Yeah, this is you have this every now and then where these bigs kind of are young, dominant, then they have kind of a down year like he did last year, and then they kind of reemerge, and it's like, oh, yeah, these guys are really good and franchise players, and you can build a team around them, and a 2020 night is not something you just can kind of sweep away as no big deal. So we're going to touch on the Nets and the Kings coming up after this one, though. But the Clippers taking on the Indiana Pacers, a 115-109 win for the Pacers. This one was Clippers leading the way for the most part, but the Pacers made it interesting down late till you had Lou Williams with that kind of long two fade away to just be, uh, ice the game with that dagger there. Pretty much did it. That's Lou Will, man. Even on a bad night where he shot 4 or 14, he hits that bucket. And really a big win for the Clippers and also a tough loss for the Pacers who are now just a half game ahead of the Boston Celtics uh, for the in the fourth seed. And what's significant here in the East standing. So Boston is now three games behind Philly, but they they play Philly next on Wednesday night. They still have two games against the Pacers. So. Boston has an opportunity to solidify the fourth seed and still make a move for the third seed, although Philly has an easy schedule. So, But this was a tough loss for the Pacers, uh, and, and with two games against the Celtics, if they, if they lose both those games, they're going to be uh, – they're going to lose home court in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, we're at the point, I think, where it's like you really need to pay attention to the standings on any given day because things are starting to get tight. And like it's cliche probably to say it, but every game matters. That's not always the case in the NBA. It certainly is the case right now. And the Nets themselves kind of had a big game last night, really needing to get that win over a feisty Kings team. It was 123-121 for the Kings. If you didn't watch the end of this one, I know it's a late West Coast game, you really missed out. We'll talk about D'Angelo Russell in a minute, who is outstanding, and that dude is going to get paid this offseason. But tied at 121, 
Kings have the ball, and instead of going, and this is a big question I have here, of to Buddy Heald or De'Aaron Fox, they get the ball to Marvin Bagley III, who did lead them in points in this game with 28. He drives down low, gets double teamed. There's nowhere for him to go with the ball. It results in a turnover. Nets ball tied at 121. You had... Rondé Hollis Jefferson go in with a circus layup on a drive after a defensive breakdown by the Kings. Kind of reverse-ish layup. I don't know what you'd call that, John. Gets it (laughs) in, and that was the game. Emphasis on ish on that layup. Um, The the, the beauty of that was when you have a guy like D'Angelo Russell just going completely nuts, and he he entered the the game – uh, I'm sorry, he entered the fourth quarter with 17 points. He finished the game with 44 points. So that's what, 27 points in the fourth quarter? Yep, 27. That's quick math. So um, that first of all, to have an entire good game worth of scoring in the fourth quarter <laughs> is a monster. But, to, but when that happens in the clutch situation, there is – an overemphasis, and what happened with, um, what happened on that final play with Rondé Hollis Jefferson, he was looking to get the ball to Russell, and and there was such an overemphasis on denying him the ball that he just said, "All right, fine, I'm just going to go do this myself." When when you have one guy who's doing so much work in one quarter, there's a a defensive focus in in, in that situation on that one guy that you forget about other players. And, and Rondé Hollis Jefferson's a good player. Like he had a, a, a pretty decent game there with uh, 14 points, uh, six of seven from the field. The seventh, the, the sixth shot was the game winner. The most important uh, one there. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the point here is that when you have a guy that gets blistering hot, like D'Angelo Russell, um, Everyone was looking for him to get the ball. And sometimes like they, they weren't looking for him to become the decoy there. They were trying to get him the ball. But in in those situations, it's not the worst idea when you've got other good players on the floor to use that guy as a potential decoy and as the second option to open up the floor and, and take advantage of a defense that's so hyper-focused on him. Well, so it was an amazing play. It was an amazing comeback from the, the, the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, they, they were down, I think it was as many as 20, 28. Is it? 28, 28 in this one. And so they kind of chipped away and whittled away at that to get it. And again, it, it, it you cannot overstate how impressive this game from D'Angelo Russell was. If you look at his fourth quarter shot chart, he took one shot from mid-range. It was either in the paint, particularly at the rim, or from three where he hit four of them and route to his 27 points. He also had 12 assists on the night. This dude was just straight up really good. Those 12 assists, by the way, of those, 10 were shots right at the rim and two were for threes, one a corner three. That is just an unbelievably efficient and effective night. Can I just mention, as a total aside, uh, D'Angelo Russell scores 44. Uh, a few nights ago, your boy Julius, Julius Randle dropped, what, 45? 45. Yeah. How are Lakers fans feeling about that? Someone t- just tweeted out that they said it would make a ton of sense for the Nets to sign Julius Randle this offseason. And it's like, oh, yeah, it, it, really, <laughs> it really, really would. Um, sure. 
I mean, to add another high, big scoring offensive guy and who plays no defense, that's perfect for the Nets right yeah, now. Yeah, that's kind of what they're doing. Get, they, they might have to outscore guys. Like, they, they just outscored the the uh, Kings 123-121. They might have to average 140 points to win games. Hey, look, just throwing ideas out there. Uh, but again, D'Angelo D- Russell, awesome in this one. 44 points on the night, 12 assists, basically doing it in a hyper-efficient manner. It was pretty fun to watch. And also just kind of that crazy end to the game. So... That is the too long, didn't watch. We watched all the games. You guys didn't. We let you know what went on. So you can just be a smarter basketball fan and impress all your friends. So coming up in a moment here on the Locked On NBA podcast, the Wednesday edition, we've got NBA player Trevor Booker ready to give us his insight. But first, before we get to that, did you all know you can fill out a tournament bracket at DraftKings this year? That's right, what? DraftKings. Exactly. I had no idea. This is more fun because DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, has a totally free bracket with tens of thousands of dollars up for grabs. Everyone fills free? out a bracket anyway. How many do you fill out, John? Uh, one. Just one. You going to do it at DraftKings? Uh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you may as well because it's an award-winning app with tons of free prizes. And for the first time ever, DraftKings is offering a bracket battle promotion with $64,000 in prizes. Who you've got winning it all? Um, I got Duke beating North Carolina in the final. Look, I I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious here in Louisiana to see how far a Will Wade-less LSU team is going to go. And this I got, is what's so fun I think about I got LSU in the Elite Eight. That's pretty good for not having your head coach. So everyone knows how brackets work. Before tip-off of the first game of the tournament, just pick the winner of every game every round. That's all there is to it. And the best part is you can play for free with the promo code LOCKEDONNCAA. You can even set up a private group for you and your friends to compete for bragging rights. So download the DraftKings app or head to DraftKings.com now. Use the promo code LOCKEDONNCAA to enter the bracket battle promotion for free. There's free money out there for you. And compete for your share of $64,000. That's code LOCKEDONNCAA to enter the bracket battle for free only at DraftKings, the game inside the game. Eligibility restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Breaking news in the association. Doc Rivers announcing before the Clippers game uh, on Tuesday night that he has agreed to an extension, which kills rumors of him going, well, I guess across the hall in the same building to the Lakers. To talk about that, we're bringing in Lockdown NBA Network analyst Trevor Booker. Uh, working his way back into the league now. And Trevor, first of all, thank you for joining us here. Oh, yeah, no problem. And and so let's get your reaction to Doc Rivers, the extension and the job that he's done in the uh, Clippers organization so far. What do you think about this news? Yeah, I'm I'm actually uh, sitting at home right now, you know, watching the Clippers play, play my former team. Um but, you know, Doc, he, he's done a tremendous job. You know, he's one of the uh, most well-respected coaches in the NBA, um, you know, coming from Boston. He, you know, you know what he accomplished there, you know, to, you know, turn the, the Clippers program around. And, you know, after this year, they, they traded uh, Tobias Harris. And, you know, people were wondering, you know, what were they doing? Or, you know, even some of the players were wondering, 
were they tanking or, you know, what was going on? Uh, you know, but Doc, you know, he held that team together. And, you know, now they're playing, you know, even better ball than before. And I think, you know, that's a, a big hats off to, to Doc and what he's done with those guys. Yeah, so a- after a situation where they do trade a guy like Tobias Harris, what does the coach need to do to kind of keep the team, keep these guys going out there and being competitive and maybe stop them from getting in, I don't know, like a lazy mentality of where, okay, if they're trading these guys, the games aren't really mattering for us. What is what is the approach that the coach needs to take there? Um. Well, you know, I think it all starts with, you know, a coach that the players, you know, really believe in and really respect. And, you know, you could tell, you know, Doc is well-respected around the league by the players, you know, not only his players, but, you know, other players from other teams. And and that's where it starts, you know. he I, I'm pretty sure, you know, after that trade went down, he told him, you know, nothing's going to change. We're still going to go out here and compete and, um, you know, make a playoff push, and, you know, and the guys out there, you know, out there playing hard every night. So – when these guys, Doc Rivers has done a tremendous job. He was a former coach of the year. He's won a championship in Boston. And here he is in the Clippers building this organization back up. What is it? I mean, what have you heard about Doc Rivers that makes him such a, uh, such a good coach, somebody that gets players to buy in? Is it because, that, because he was a former player? Is that something that resonates with guys? Yeah, I'm sure that has something to do with it, you know. Besides his, you know, basketball IQ, him being, you know, such a, a great basketball mind, uh, you know, he's a player's coach. He 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 really gets along with his players. He really cares about his players. And he knows how to relate to them, you know, because he was a player. Uh, so he, he really understands, you know, what the players go through and, you know, and what it takes to be out there on a nightly basis. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, that's where he gets a lot of his respect. So it, it was rumored that he might, I don't know, jump across the hall, as John said, to the Lakers. Can you, I think we all think that would have been a terrible move for him, but say <laughs> you're, you're pitching Doc Rivers on coming to the Lakers, the Lakers get a meeting with him, I don't know, or something. Like, what would the pitch be? Because I struggle to come up with, like, ideas of why he would want to go to this Lakers team. It's not like he really has ties to them and, like, they're, you know, they're this kind of, like, lighthouse that he's kind of being beckoned towards. There's, like, almost no reason. Yeah, that's, that's why it was just a rumor, you know. Um, I don't think there was, you know, any any truth to him, you know, going there. I think the only thing that would have, um, you know, persuaded Doc to go to, to, to the Lakers would have been, you know, a $100 million contract, something hard to turn, to, to turn down, um, you know. But Steve Ballmer, he wasn't letting Doc go anywhere. You could tell that they have a, a special relationship, and, you know, Doc was going to stay. So let me ask you this, um, going back to the whole player uh, coach thing, you you have played both for a former player and for a guy who wasn't. Uh, can you explain maybe some of the difference? Because, you know, you play for you play for Quinn Snyder and, and Quinn's uh-huh. obviously a tremendous coach. So he doesn't have to play in the league to be a, a great coach. But. What's the difference between playing for a guy who hasn't played versus a guy who has? Uh, I mean, the, the guy who has played in the, in the NBA, they just know, you know the grind that it takes every night and, you know, the physicality 
and different things like that. Um, so that, that's what, you know, separates them. They, they know, you know, how the players think, uh, which is, which is huge. Um, you know, but to Quinn, you know, uh, I mean, Quinn was a guy, you know, he realizes that he didn't, you know, play in the NBA, but, you know, that's why he, he listens to his players, you know, because they, they, they're out there every night and, you know, they may see things that he does that he doesn't see. Um, or see things a, a different way. Um, and that's what makes him a special coach, you know, because he actually, you know, listens. Um, and, you know, and he doesn't think that he knows everything. And, and what about this Clippers team in particular? Because they're in the eighth spot now. They've looked overall pretty good, I think, at times. And even when they did have Tobias Harris, they were one of the better teams in the league. What, so, like, what's your take on them? Do they have a shot of uh, going further in the playoffs or are they getting knocked out in the first round? Yeah, I mean, I, I expect them to get knocked out in the first round, um, but it doesn't take anything away from their season. You know, they still, they still, you know, even if they got knocked out in the first round, they still had a, a good season in my eyes. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't have them making the playoffs, you know, at all. Not even, probably not even close um, after the Tobias trade. But if you look at their team, you know, they're just playing hard. You know, they have scorers and, and Gallo and uh, Lou Will. They have a you know a very underrated center in Montrez Harrell, and you know, um, and they have a great coach, and they got you know some dogs out there. You know, Montrez is a dog. Um, Pat Beverly, you know, they just have guys that are gonna go out there and get under your skin and play hard every night. Well, I'll tell you one thing: Montrez Harrell is not underrated with me, man. That dude is fun to watch man he's a difference maker Let, let's just before we wrap up this segment here I want to get to the Lakers situation because part of the reason why Doc was rumored to, to go to the Lakers is that it's pretty much assumed that Luke Walton is gone so first of all a two-part question part one do you think Luke Walton was treated fairly in Los Angeles and part two what kind of coach if you could come up with a name great but what kind of coach could come in after Luke Walton to help the Lakers kind of regain their footing um honestly I don't think anybody is treated fairly if you go to LA <laughs> you, oh, you put on that's interesting a, yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you put you put on you know such a, a, di- a different pedestal you know um you, you have to come come in and win right away um so if you're not winning right away you know, things, you know, you got to look yourself in the mirror and you got to just realize, you know, that you're, what you're, what you're coming into, really. Um, you know, he, he's brought in, well, not, not brought in, but he, he, he was put in a difficult situation, you know, having LeBron on his team, especially, I mean, having LeBron on your team, you expect to, to win right away. Um, so I'm not going to say, you know, he it was unfair or fair. Um, it, it's just different in L.A. And then who, what kind of coach do you think could come in and handle that kind of situation with LeBron, with the Lakers' expectations, with all that pressure and being treated, I guess, unfairly at, on a regular basis? Is there a particular coach or a particular person in, in, in specifically that, that could come in, you think, and handle that kind of job? Um, it's going to have to take you know somebody who is very experienced Someone you know who has a super high basketball IQ, you know, because you ha- you have to uh, deal with LeBron, you know, his basketball IQ, 
Um, so somebody's going to have to be, you know, super smart. Um, somebody gonna, uh, that has to uh, know how to deal with the media uh, because the, the media attention is going to be crazy. Um, so it's going to have to be somebody super experienced. I'm trying to think, you know, who's on, who's open right now. Um, I'm, I'm really not sure. Yeah. Sounds like you know, LeBron James, I, player coach. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> you, you need someone that he respects and will stand up to. So does he stand up to himself though? I think that's the big question here with him as player coach. Uh, it'd be interesting. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we had what was supposed to be, I think, when the schedule makers put this game together, a marquee matchup, Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis Antetokounmpo versus LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers, except no Giannis, no LeBron. This is the resting season. It's March. We're down to the last few weeks. What do we do about players resting and fans? It's the eternal debate. We're going to get Trevor Booker's take when we come back on the Lockdown NBA podcast. NBA fans love to see these marquee matchups. I think when we go back in NBA history, the popularity of the league turned in part when David Stern had the foresight to market individuals. So when the league was struggling in the late 70s and Larry Bird came into the league, Magic Johnson came into the league, all of a sudden it was billed as... Larry Bird and the Celtics versus Magic Johnson and the Lakers, not just Boston versus L.A. It was player and team, and that really spurred this superstardom, in addition to, obviously, Larry and Magic being, you know, megastars. But ever since then, players become – this is a players' league. They are at the forefront of this. It's an expensive ticket. And so, Trevor, let's start with this. What's the balance when a, a game like Milwaukee versus the now the the shine is a little bit off the late situation, but still Giannis versus LeBron, the two all star captains going at each other. This was if you're in Milwaukee and you bought a ticket to see this game and those two guys aren't playing. But at the same time, you do you understand from a player's perspective, do you, do you do you look at that if you see a fan that's pissed off and say, "Yeah, I can understand how how the fan is pissed off." Yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, if, I mean, you just have to look at it realistically. You have to put yourself on in other people's shoes sometimes. Um, you know, if if I bought a ticket as a fan, you know, and took my kids to the game, wanted wanted to see LeBron versus Giannis, you know and they don't play, you know, of course I'll be a little upset. But then at the same time, you have to look at it from, you know, a team, I mean, um, from a player's perspective, a team perspective, you know, um, players, I mean, they do need their rest. It's, it's a long season. So, you know, it's, it's two sides to that story. So when you were a player, was that something – or you still still are a player, I mean. Is that something you're conscious of? Like, are you thinking, like, I need to go out there for the fans? Or is your allegiance and your loyalty and, I guess, your first priority more to the team of winning games or doing what's best for the franchise? And, you know, maybe you need to rest so you can win more games later in the season. Um, you, you definitely going to put yourself first, you know. It's, it's, it's about, you know, winning and it's about, you know, staying healthy. 
you, you know, you know, if you rest, that you're likely, you're more likely, you're less likely to get injured, and you're more likely to be on the court at the end of the season. So you, you're definitely going to think about yourself first, yourself and the team. Um, but at the same time, you do have to feel something for the fans. So, uh, one of my one of my goals in in everything that I do as far as coverage is to try to make sure that fans understand what's actually happening in the NBA. And the NBA is a much different animal than college or any other basketball than anybody that most people who are NBA fans experience. People who watch the game have experienced basketball to some level. Maybe they played in high school. Maybe they played in college. But the NBA is a different beast and could you take a minute to explain the rigors of the nba and why in march do players benefit from taking a game off because people might say well take a practice off or take something but why does a game off here and there like brad stevens said this week that al horford is already gonna like they've targeted about four games the remaining part of the season that he's going to miss. And after the last game where they lost to the Nuggets, he said the rest helps. Could you explain why that helps and in, in, in part of the rigors of the NBA season? Well, let's take it back to the beginning of the season, you know, training camp. It yeah. starts um, mid-September. And, you know, you go, you're going super hard in training camp. That's just to start the season off. And then, you, you know, the the practices from then on out uh, th- during the long season, you know, you, you're going to practice, you know, for the first couple of months, you know, contact. And then, you know, once you get in the middle of the season, you're going to, you know, shy away from the from the contact and practice. But you, you're still, you know, going to be out there on the court, you know, one or two hours uh, going over – other routines from the team, uh, practicing your stuff, uh, no contact, uh, still on the – every night you're going to have something, though, uh, either traveling, some kind of team activity. Uh, you get one day off a week. Uh, the traveling, you know, it takes a toll on your body. And, you know, once the you know end of the season comes, 82 games, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of games. It puts a lot of wear and tear on your body. So to have, you know, one, uh, well, a couple of nights off at the end of the season, it really helps because you, you've been going, you know, for so long since September, you know, 82 games, a uh, whole bunch of flights uh, to different cities, back and forth. Um, it's not only, you know, physically, but, you know, mentally, you just need that rest. So people will say the counterpoint for people who don't know is, well, you get to fly in these chartered planes and you get to stay in these awesome hotels and all of that stuff. So can you explain that why, even though you have some of the best accommodations and travel and blah, 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 why does that still take a toll mentally and physically on you? I mean, you you play one night and you're on the plane that same night uh, and you don't get in until 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and you know, and then you you play that same day, um, you know stuff like that is it, super tough, and people just don't understand. You know, 
how tough that is on your body, on your mind, uh, you know, on your family. You know, it's it's just a tough schedule. And they, they really – I don't think they'll really understand unless they really set themselves aside and, and really, you know, actually look at it or actually hear NBA players talk about it or, or actually, you know, or actually live it. So, so is there a solution to it? I know there's been at times talk of maybe eliminating conferences and trying to figure out more of a equal travel schedule for all the teams. Because the way you make it sound, say a team like Portland who travels, I think, further distance than any other. Uh, is poor kind Trailblazers. Of, yeah, just far, far up there by themselves kind of have just an inherent disadvantage for where they're located based on that. Is it more about the travel and the wear and tear and just the, like the draining nature of that that it takes on you? Or is the solution maybe fewer games and spread them out a little bit more? Or is there some sort of compromise between the two? Um, I know that they've talked about fewer games. Um, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, how the players would feel about it. I wouldn't be opposed to it. Fewer games, I think, just mean, you know, just less revenue coming in. And I don't know, you know, how the NBA feels about it, how the owners feel about it. Um, but, you know, I don't know, you know, it's going to have to be some kind of solution. It, it's been talks every year. I'm just not sure where we are with it. All right, Trevor. Uh, great stuff, man. Uh, thanks for, for chiming in here. It's always great to get that NBA perspective. Uh, there, there's a lot to be said about these rigors, the rigors of this league. Um, you know, but by, by this point, I mean, everybody's got to just be just banged up. Like, what, <laughs> before we let you go, like, what's it like in March just getting out of bed in the morning after all of oh, this? Man. I mean, it's, it's a lot of times you just wish you're on the beach, you know, somewhere <laughs> laid out on the, on the beach, um, you know, but that, I mean, that's what you sign up for and you get used to it after some years. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it's still tough. It's, t- it's tough to get out of bed some mornings. Some mornings you just think, think you know, should I just call in and you say I got a, uh, say I have the flu or some kind of virus? <laughs> you know, it, 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 you know it's, it's tough out there. Hey, who hasn't taken a mental health day from work? So <laughs> exactly. Uh, look, I, I'm not an NBA player, and I want to be on a beach all day, laying out. That sounds good to me. Drinking on a beach is great, and nobody's kicking the shit out of me in the post. So, uh, all right, Trevor Booker, thank you very much, man. Very, very much appreciated perspective. Thanks for uh, joining us on the Wednesday Lockdown NBA Show. All right. Thanks, guys. So big thanks to Trevor Booker joining us here on the Lockdown NBA podcast. That is the type of analysis from a current NBA player that you're not going to get anywhere else. John, since he's a player in the league, anything kind of surprise you in what he said or like that sound about right? No, it sounded perfect to me, man. It's being around players on a daily basis. Like fans definitely don't understand. And I, I want fans to understand that this is this does take a toll. These are human beings that struggle sometimes through, especially the the dregs of the NBA season. Um, it, it's tough. It, we think because you give somebody millions of dollars that suddenly they're they are impervious to pain and all of that stuff, and it's they're not. Uh, the travel, it's yeah, they're in, they're in awesome planes. That's great, but I just know from 
playing games myself that the last thing I wanted to do after finishing a game was get on a plane. That sounds like torture to me. And luckily, when in Europe, you don't have to do that. There's like a downtime. That schedule in the NBA is ridiculous. And it, it wears on guys. And I think the more we get NBA players kind of explaining why certain things happen and why time off is, is necessary, the, the better. I get why fans would be pissed off. Why, If you're in Milwaukee and you, you bought a ticket for this game hoping to see Giannis and LeBron, I'd be pissed too. But this is, I think, when you're buying March and April tickets – you just have to – it's a buyer beware. You have to understand that you might not get to see the guys that you were hoping to see. Yeah, I think it's it, – it partially is. And, you know, if you read the back of the tickets, nothing's guaranteed. I, I don't know. Like, it's Wednesday, and I'm exhausted already and ready for this week to end. So I can't imagine what an NBA player who does a whole lot more physical activity than I do uh, it, it feels on this sort of thing. I wonder if maybe, like, there's a, a sort of a solution where these rest days, load management days, I guess we need to call them now, are scheduled, like, a month in advance. Or, you know, could you try and schedule this when you look at the release of the regular season schedule and be like, okay, these days, by the way, are days that LeBron's not going to play. Play because they're late in the season and we're just doing it or I don't know something like that yeah. maybe is a way to do it so people know because like I get it you know not every you know it, it sucks if you can afford to go to one game a year which is the case for a lot of people and then these guys aren't playing like they, you, they would it, never do that no but they would never do that because first of all obviously there is the from the business side they would never want to depress the sales of any tickets no it's but a competitive secondly, thing too like you know you know you're kind of like not trying in that game so it's sure it, you also don't know what the, you don't know what the standings are going to be at that point like yeah that's before, a good point before the season so like if if this was a much more competitive situation like if the bucks weren't solidified as the top seed if there was a, a battle going on then Giannis might have played and they might have found a different game and if yeah, the, no, that's a good the Lakers were, were fighting for something, LeBron might have played, and they might have found a different time to, to give him the load management game. So um, it's, it's, it's a tough balancing act. It's very difficult, but no one likes to hold out players. Like That's not something they prefer to do, but the science has come back and said, you gotta, you got to hold guys out. that You can't play anybody 82 games anymore. It's just very difficult to do nowadays. Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's just, like you said, there's probably no real good solution. And as Trevor said, they're not going to be reducing games because that's a loss of revenue. And no one's going to be cool, particularly the owners, with taking money off of the table and less for them. So, like, that's basically a non-starter. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. Oh, we'll make less money. Cool. We're not going to go that route whatsoever. So I don't know what they're going to do about it. But look, look, it sucks. It's not fun. I think we can all at least agree to that part. Yep. I agree. What doesn't suck is the Wednesday edition of the Locked On NBA <laughs> podcast, which nice. this I know I tried here, which this has been as always on Wednesday. I'm Jake Madison, host of the Locked On Pelicans podcast, and you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Nola Jake, and I'm John Carellis. I'm one of the hosts of the Locked On Celtics podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Red's Army underscore John. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back with you all next week.